Well, good morning, uh, friends. My name is Reed uh, Campbell. Um, I serve as the pastor here at Trinity Fellowship. And if you're new, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Um, and so it is a joy to enter into this season of Advent uh, that is full of, of emotions of all kinds. And so as you have heard so far, uh, today we're talking about hope. Uh, it is an appropriate term and theme and concept in this season as we start this first Sunday of Advent. So let me take a moment just to pray for our time as we turn to God's word. And so let's, let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, we come to you because you are our only hope in life and in death. We pray to you, God, most high, because there is no one else to turn to. There is no one else who hears us. There is no one else capable of meeting the needs of our lives, the cries of our heart. Lord, I ask in this time as we enter into this season that is filled with hope and peace and joy and love, we also know that we enter in feeling rather hopeless. And so, Lord, in our sorrow, in our despair, in our darkness, would you shine the light and the hope of Jesus in this time as we hear from you? And so meet us, Lord, in our mourning, meet us in our joys, so that we might see you as the God who cares for us so much that you would enter in and draw near to us. And so would this time, Lord, be a time in which you make us more and more a people who are able to hope with wait, with a waiting expectancy of your return, even as we grieve and mourn the fact that we and the world in which we inhabit is not the way it is supposed to be. And so, Lord Jesus, be known, be seen, be delighted in, in this place and through us as your people. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, as we have said so far, today is the first uh, day of Advent. And if you're unfamiliar with uh, Advent or if you're not familiar with church, if this is maybe even your first time joining us in church, Advent is a word that literally means arrival or approaching, as, as Lula shared for us in our candle lighting reading. And it is a time in which the church does two things. The church remembers, re-enters the story of waiting for the birth of the Messiah, the person of Jesus. But it is also a time in which we remind ourselves that we still wait. That we wait for the second advent of Jesus, his arrival and return to restore all things on earth as it is in heaven. Is my mic cutting out? No, yes, yes, no? Okay. I might, I might switch mics in a second, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. But, but as we wait, as we enter into the season, we are waiting for Christmas. That's what we all kind of do during this time. But we also find ourselves waiting for the renewal of all things. Yes, we light the candle of hope and it is a time filled with joy and merriment. But we also recognize that this season has with it a sense of darkness. And I think that that's appropriate I think as the people of Jesus, we should be people who are able to hope and enter into a broken and hopeless time, knowing that the brokenness and the darkness around us does not have the final word. Recently, I've been reading and reflecting on uh, the the writings and the teaching of uh, Fleming Rutledge, who uh, I shared this in our uh, online service last week. But Fleming Rutledge, who also has my favorite name of all humans, uh, has this wonderful description of Advent, that Advent begins in the dark. The season of Advent begins in the dark. And she goes on to describe Advent in this way. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. 
The authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. Now, I'm not trying to be a downer, like, Merry Christmas. Like, but the point is, is that, that if we do not fully recognize and admit that there is a darkness in us and around us, we actually miss out on the beauty and the light that has dawned in the person of Jesus. Advent is a time in which we give serious attention to the fact that there is darkness in our world and in us. But thanks be to God that the light of Christ has dawned. So rather than avoiding or distracting ourselves from the darkness with things like LED lights and granulated sugar and future garage sale items, if we're honest with ourselves, some of you will get that in a second, we, we have to recognize that if we distract ourselves from the darkness, we will actually miss out on the brightness of the light of Christ. And so this Advent, what we want to do is look at these four themes of Advent, of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love, but to do so by looking at how they uniquely meet and respond to the cry of every longing heart. We sang that in our, in our opening hymn of, of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. He is the joy of every longing heart. We want to enter into Advent honestly facing the cries that are within each and every one of us and to see how hope, peace, joy, and love in Christ respond to each of these cries. And so we start with hope. And and hope, if we're honest, like hope is in kind of short supply in our day. There seems to be this this pervasive fear and haunting feeling that no one knows what we're doing or where we're going as a world, as a culture, as a nation, as a species. Like, where is everything headed? Even with the advent, no pun intended, of like new technology or breakthroughs in medicine, there usually comes with it a greater sense of fear and like case in point, like AI, not to get into it all, but like, like is AI going to bring about a wonderful like, like utopia or is it going to bring about like Skynet and Terminator 2 becomes reality? Like, I don't know. But we live in this time in which it seems as though even advancements in things that make life better. Should I switch microphones? Is that distracting to you all? No, keep going. I'm going to keep going. Even with breakthroughs and advancements in technology, we still feel this sense in which... We don't have a certainty of where things are headed. It is not uncommon to find this pervasive sense of hopelessness in our world. In fact, uh, Kurt Vonnegut in his famous uh, novel, Cat's Cradle, I don't know if you're familiar with his writing, but he, he made up a religion called Bokanonism. And Bokanonism was made up of all these books, and the 14th book of Bokanonism had but one verse, and that verse had but one word. The the book, the 14th book, was entitled, What Can a Thoughtful Man Hope for Mankind on Earth Given the Experience of the Past Million Years? And that book had one verse, and that verse had one word, and that word was nothing. And and that's kind of the description. Like, like if if we remove the transcendent, if we take God out of the picture, we erode and remove any basis of hope in our world. And it feels like there is this pervasive sense and this low-grade apprehension that just plagues all of us. We have this unwavering uncertainty about where everything is headed. In a word, in a, in a word we feel increasingly hopeless. 
And so when we turn to this story that was read for us, kind of through the Jesus story of the Bible by Sarah, I want us to see how the biblical story of hope actually is the remedy to this pervasive, haunting feeling of where is everything going in the world? What does the Christian story and what does Christmas say to our hopelessness? And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're just going to look at the story of Abram, who later becomes Abraham. And in this story, we see the calling of Abram, who becomes the blessing, the father of a mighty nation, who would bring a blessing to all nations. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this this dialogue between God and Abraham is really the, the story that begins why we are all here. We gather together in worship and delighting in and pointing our attention and affection to Jesus, the Messiah, because that is the one that God is promising to come through Abraham's line. This story in Genesis 12 is why we are here. Now, for for God to call Abram, he tells him to leave his, his homeland, to leave everything familiar and go after a land that he doesn't really know exactly where it is, but he trusts God to take him. And and this is rather, like, we may read this and kind of say, like, okay, that's a cute story. He's very adventurous. But this is a major thing, to to leave behind your land, which at that time is everything. Like, land is your security. It is your retirement. It is everything. It is your financial well-being. And Abraham leaves it all, trusting God to take him. As the Jesus Storybook Bible tells us, I love this, this little translation. So Abraham trusted what God said more than what his eyes could see. And he believed. But the story gets even bleaker when we get to Genesis 17 because God tells Abram that he and his wife Sarai are going to have a child, but they're like 100 years old. And we read this in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. So God goes on to tell Abram that his name will now become Abraham. And so he changes his name as a way to symbolize, hey, I'm doing something new. I'm changing your name because something new is going to emerge from you and your family. And he tells Abraham that will bring forth a mighty nation from the child yet to be born to he and his wife, Sarah. But Abraham and his wife have been, they're nearing 100 years in age. And it basically seems impossible. And this is why Abraham reacts this way in verse 17. Abraham fell face down and then he laughed. And the Hebrew word there, it really has this kind of like, this like, like I need to laugh, otherwise I'm going to cry kind of meaning. He fell on his face and then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred year old man? Can Sarah, a 99 year old, a 90 year old woman give birth? From Abraham's perspective, there is no way this is going to happen. It is bleak. It is hopeless. God had actually been promising a child for a very long time, and nothing had come about. In fact, Abraham had to take matters into his own hands, which is a whole other story. But what we see is that it almost sounds cruel that God keeps telling this old couple, you're going to have a kid, you're going to have a kid, and it never happens. Now, this soil, if you will, that God is preparing with Abraham and Sarah 
It is the soil in which hope is born. Hope is not just this like irrational, optimistic, wishful thinking. Hope, if there's one idea you take from our time, I want it to be this. There is no hope without hopelessness. Hope comes precisely from an environment where there is no possible option left to us. Hope is not hope if you have an ability to bring about the thing that you are hoping for. Hope is not hope if there is some option that you are able to contrive and create to bring about the thing that you are longing for. Just think about it. Strength is not possible without resistance. Love is not possible without sacrifice. Virtue is not possible without a vice of some kind. And hope is not possible without hopelessness. We tend to think that hope is really just this kind of like internal wishful thinking that perhaps the thing that I want will come about if I just like manifest it into reality. But there is no hope without hopelessness. Again, Advent begins in the dark. And so if we are to be a people of true, genuine hope, we have to understand that hope begins in a place of utter hopelessness. Listen to what G.K. Chesterton once said. He says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. That is precisely biblical hope. Hope is only for the desperate. It is not for the faint of heart. To be a person of hope is to be a person of painful longing. It is not to be a person of wishful thinking, but to be a person of painful longing or to be a people of painful longing. There is no hope without hopelessness. And, and I think in some ways we may look at the hopelessness around us or in us or in our culture and see it as kind of this like terrifying thing. I actually think it is fertile soil for the seed of biblical hope in Christ to be born. Hope only comes to those who are utterly hopeless. Now, the story of Abraham and Sarah, it's actually picked up later. I mean, it's brought up a lot in in the Bible. But in in the book of Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives some further commentary to what's going on between Abraham and Sarah. In Romans chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, we read these words of the Apostle Paul, kind of giving us a little bit of of a backstory. If you've ever watched like the commentary of a DVD, which is a very old sentence, I just realized. Uh, But but it's kind of giving commentary on something that was happened in the past. Listen to what Paul says. As it is written. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and who calls things into existence that did not exist. He believed, hoping against hope. We'll come back to that phrase in a second. So that he became, referring to Abraham, the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. Notice how Paul is describing Abraham's hope. It is a belief in the one who gives life to the dead and who brings something out of nothing. That's not belief in someone who can give you all the things that you want. It is like it is a hope that says unless God moves, nothing happens. Hope is not hope unless there is hopelessness. This is what is meant by that strange phrase that that Abraham hoping against hope, which just kind of sounds strange. Like, what does that mean? Like, it kind of sounds Christian-y, but we're not quite sure exactly what it means. 
What Paul is saying about Abraham is that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is the desperate belief that in spite of our weakness, in spite of our frailty, in spite of our sin, in spite of our limits, God will show up as he promises, not necessarily as we prefer. I think that is the distinction between biblical hope and just wishful thinking. It is the belief and expectation that God will show up according to what he has promised, not necessarily according to what we prefer. When we want God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, that isn't necessarily biblical hope. That is basically a theological genie in a bottle, so to speak. And that is not biblical hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. It is trusting that God will meet us in our sorrow and despair, even if he doesn't meet us in the way we want him to. And this idea, this idea of hope coming to us in a place of hopelessness is not hard for some of us to grasp. Some of us, for where we are in life right now, whether it is dealing with the loss of a loved one, whether it's dealing with the pain or the sickness of a loved one, whether it is our life not turning out the way we wanted it to be, whether it's getting bad news from a teacher, a coach, um, uh, your, your school play director, whatever it may be, all these things may lead us to feel a sense of hopelessness right now. And we are sensing that we are reaching the bottom when it comes to hopelessness. And what I would say is it is precisely in those moments of hopelessness where hope shines the brightest. I don't, I don't mean to speak a cliche, but just think about it. Like if, I were to, if I were to take my phone, for example, and if I were to try and flash a flashlight, let's see if I can do this. Like, is, that, is, is anyone like blinded by the light right now? No. But if I were to turn off all the lights, and, which I was thinking about doing, but it takes like 98 minutes for them to turn back on. Um, if I were to turn the lights off to utter darkness in here and then turn a light on, there would be a little bit of, of a jarring moment. Going from utter darkness to light is something radical. And that's why biblical hope is birthed in a place, in a time of utter hopelessness. Again, there is no hope without hopelessness. This is how hope worked for Abraham and Sarah. Listen again in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. I love this passage. He says, he did not, referring to Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, which is just a very interesting, like, Abraham's just like, I'm as good as dead. There's no real hope of any life coming out of me at this point. He says, as he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Abraham was able to hope, not because of his abilities, but precisely in spite of them. Hope came to Abraham when he recognized that there was nothing he could do to contribute to meeting the longings of his heart. It was when he saw just how incapable he was by seeing his human limitations that he became a person of hope. But we won't become people of hope if we fail to know and see the power and the presence of God in our lives. As I mentioned earlier, I, th I think there, there, there is a, a correlation, a connection between our, our diminished view of the transcendent, of, of, of God in our world. When we kind of erode God down to just like an idea, 
and not as a powerful person and presence in our life, we should not be surprised that we find hopelessness and anxiety and apprehension growing. When we wall ourselves off from the source of all light and love and life, we should not be surprised that we are filled with anxious anxious thoughts and fears, that we're consumed with, with our hopelessness, but it's when we recognize our limitations and God's ability that hope is birthed. Kelly Capick in his book, You're Only Human, which is a great book I would commend to, to anyone, says this, strangely, when we lose our fear of the Lord, we also lose some perception of his comfort, love, and compassion. We seek distractions to avoid our weariness. This is kind of what we do at Christmas. We just fill ourselves with like LEDs and sugar and things like that and parties just to kind of numb the darkness around us. We seek distractions to avoid our weariness, to numb our sense of meaninglessness, or to fill the silence that haunts us. We try to derive self-understanding values and a sense of worth and direction from the creation instead of looking to the creator who alone can show us these things. To be a people of hope and to offer hope to a hopeless world, we need to admit that we have limits. And we need to recognize that we cannot pull together to kind of become the answer to our longings of our hearts. There is no hope without hopelessness. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I want want to take a moment to give us a, a, a time to reflect for one second. As we think about entering into the season of Advent, it is important for us to recognize that hope comes from a place of hopelessness. And I think that particularly in our culture, I think we have a little bit of a, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, let's kind of accomplish things. I think we have a little bit of an obsession with control and accomplishment and ambition. And and those, those aren't necessarily bad things. But when we are convinced that we possess the abilities to accomplish the things in our life, we actually wall ourselves off from what true hope is. It reminds me, our, our family, uh, we were watching uh, Jurassic Park, like the original Jurassic Park. If you remember the scene when John Hammond, the owner of Jurassic Park, is talking to Dr. Sattler, I think is her name. When he said, he's telling her, like, well, once, once we get the park back up and running, once we have control. And then if you remember from that great scene, what, what does Dr. Sattler say? She interrupts him and says, you never had control. That's the illusion. And I think so often the reason why we find ourselves dealing with hopelessness in our day is that we are like Dr. Hammond. That if if we just had a little bit more control, then we could manage these problems. Then the dinosaurs wouldn't break out and the Dilophosaurus wouldn't come and spit venoms. You know, they wouldn't do that. That's my my Dilophosaurus impression. I am so sorry I did that. Uh, Kind of. But that's what we think. We think that if we could just control, if we had more control over our circumstances, then we could solve the problems. But what we are doing is that we are placing all of our hope in our abilities in our deluded belief that we have no limits. But that is no hope at all. Kate Bowler, who is a Christian uh, historical theologian, uh, says this, and she she writes from a place of real pain and hopelessness as a person who is diagnosed with stage four cancer. Listen to what Dr. Kate Bowler says. What would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says you are limitless? Everything is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not yet here. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy? And what if whole did not have to mean healed? What if being the people of the gospel 
meant that we are simply people with good news. God is here. We are loved. It is enough. There is no hope without hopelessness. And so what I want us to do in this moment, I want to just give us a small little uh, practice to take from this time, is that I, I want each of us to identify in our lives right now, I want, you, I want you to identify a grief, a longing in your life, a pain, a sorrow, something that is not the way it is supposed to be in your life. It could be a relationship, it could be a matter of health, it could be a matter of your vocation, whatever it is, something going on in school. I want you to identify that grief. And this week, what I want you to do is to pick a, some kind of physical token, something that, that re, uh, resemble, uh, represents rather that grief. And you don't have to tell anybody about it. You don't have to explain what it is. But I want you to identify a token and carry it with you. And I want it to be in, in your pocket. You can keep it in your purse or whatever it is. I want you to hold on to it during this season of Advent and let it remind you of Advent. Let it remind you that Advent begins in the dark. Let it remind you that hope begins in a place of hopelessness. And as you see it, as you touch it, as you look at it, it maybe something that you put before you so that you visibly see it, as you experience it, I want you to offer this simple prayer to God. If you want to take a picture of it, you can. But simply, when you are reminded of this token that represents your grief, your sorrow, the longing in your heart that you want God to remedy, just offer this prayer, O God of hope, you know the despair within me. Meet me in my longing through the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. O God of hope, you know the despair within me. Meet me in my longing through the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is in a dark and hopeless time that we enter into the season of Advent, and that is appropriate because it is in a dark and hopeless time that the light of Christ dawned. And it is in our hopelessness that Jesus meets us. As we sing in in that that wonderful hymn, uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, in our longing and in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Jesus sees us and draws near to us in our hopelessness. And that is in many ways a description of the entire Christian life. I, I, want, I want to close with this last quote from Fleming Rutledge who says this. In a very deep sense, the entire Christian life in this world is lived in Advent. Between the first and second comings of the Lord. In the midst of the tension between things the way they are and the things the way they ought to be. And so would we be a people who are able to enter into hopeless places and to even be hopeless people who hope against hope, knowing that hope, there is no hope without hopelessness. And so again, this may be a darker way to enter into Advent. It may not be the hopeful message you were maybe hoping for, no pun intended, but I believe it is appropriate for us to face the darkness around us and in us if we are to be a people of great hope. And the good news is, church, is that Jesus has come to be that hope for us. He may not meet our hopes in the way in which we prefer, but he meets them in the way in which he promises, and they are always, always better. Amen? Let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this time, and we ask that you would make known to us the places and parts in our life where we try to distract ourselves from the darkness in us and around us. 
Lord, I pray that we would be people who have the ability to, to stare at the darkness around us, to look it square in the face, to not, to not deny it or distract ourselves from it, but to, to see it and to simultaneously see you in the midst of it. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place that you would meet us in our sorrow and our grief and our longing of every human heart and would the hope of Jesus be found. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we remember your birth, as you enter this world, would you be born again, afresh, anew in us, reminding us that you are with us in the midst of our pain. I cannot fully explain why things are not the way they are right now, but we know that you are near to us and with us. And so would your presence and power be a hope in our times of hopelessness? Remind us of this truth as we enter into this season of Advent. And would you be the remedy to every longing heart? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to move into a time of...